A reading from John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from here? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you. I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. See if we, there we go. It's working. Good morning. My name is David. For those who don't know, I'm one of the pastors here. Let me try and make sure I know where I need to be. So, um, for two years, relentlessly, my daughter has asked me to shave my beard. (laughs) And it happened, as you can see. And um, two years is a very large part of her life. She's only four. Um, and, uh, and so she, she woke up with my beard gone and she shouted, Daddy, your face is bald. <laughs> so, um, so I said, yes, yes it is. And then she continued to tell me how she didn't like it. So I said to her, babe, you've asked me. For two years to do this, I did it. She looked at me and very innocently said, Yeah, but that's before I saw your face. (laughs) So there we are. It certainly is epiphany. She had an epiphany, a sudden realization and a profound impact that happened. And that is what we're in. We're in the season of Epiphany, and it's a privilege to talk about this text, which is um, a beautiful, beautiful text. There's too much to say about it for one morning. And so I'm going to pray and just ask for the Spirit of God to say what He needs to in this. God, we come, and as we see what it means, what the reality of life looks like, because Jesus, you became man, we are humbled at what you have done, for us. We're humbled at what it means for us today. We're humbled that you care for us so much that you leave us these things to treasure in our hearts, to change us. And so, Spirit of God, we invite you to come. Please come and speak, come and lead as we look at your amazing and precious word. Amen. So this morning, it is come and see. Philip says to Nathaniel, come and see. And it is the most profound 
message that Philip could have given Nathaniel. His life was forever changed. Now, it is said that when you are faced with imminent danger or incredible crises, somehow life makes just a little more sense in that moment, or shall I say, becomes a little clearer. It is said, particularly of people at war, that in the trenches, all the difficult complications and questions of life seem to fade into insignificance because the most important thing that is in front of you, screaming at you, is life or death. We saw that a little bit in the movie Unbroken, those who saw it or read the book. The book is substantially better, but I still enjoyed the movie. Where on the life raft, I think, 40 days or whatever this, this soldier spends on the life raft and comes to the point where he says, basically, God, if you exist... I'll give my life to you. I'll devote my life to you. Like a moment of clarity and surrender. There was nothing else. What else has he got to hang on to? And then later on, and the part the movie doesn't show accurately, although it alludes to it at the end, is the fact that his life only found true meaning when he was serving Christ at the end of his life. And we all go through different crises that that somehow make all the big questions that we ask fade into the background, and in a moment of clarity, something happens in our soul. You may be in one of those moments right now, not here in this sermon or message, but in life. It may be a moment where it just seems like there is the peripherals lose, lose focus and what is important is being focused on. In fact, some of us may be avoiding that place because we don't want to answer those important questions that come nagging and knocking on our doors. Others long to actually get to that place. It's like, man, everything's just so confusing. I actually don't know what to think. And some of us long for the clarity. And to be honest, crisis is only one of the ways you get there. But crisis, in that sense, is a gift. And we are conditioned as a culture to avoid it at any cost in many ways. Crisis is a gift for us to be able to ask the most important questions. Either way, those moments of clarity, they come. And as we're faced with them, we're left with a choice. We're left to respond and embrace something that may be unknown Or we do what we do so well and numb the glaring questions, the glaring realities that we face with a number of things. Entertainment, busyness, doubt. Sometimes we we numb it with with our own doubt and our own skepticism, with our own rationalization, with our own pride which sounds so sophisticated. And so Caleb spoke last week about our identity in Jesus and the obedience that flows from that. And those are the themes that I'm carrying on with from this particular text. Epiphany, in essence, means this. 
an immediate and meaningful understanding of something. It's surprising, it is sudden, and it is profound. And some of you may have had moments like that in your life, and those are real important moments to respond to. But sometimes those moments come and we don't respond. And something robs us of the incredible encounter that we could have in those moments because something led us to be distracted from that which was happening. In John chapter 1, which we're looking at, it says, Jesus came into this world as a light into darkness. And it is a revealing thing that he came. He came to bring light and understanding in times and places that we didn't have much. And that, in essence, is what's happening with Nathaniel as he encounters Jesus. So sometimes we see theological concepts. Jesus is the light of the world. What does that mean? What does it look like in real life? This is a story of what it looks like in real life. So let's have a look at it. Nathaniel. A skeptic with a sophistication bias. He looked down upon anything that came from Nazareth. I don't know about that. I don't think that makes sense. And as, as I look at his life and I look at how he's gone through, it reminds me remarkably of a New Yorker. Just ask them what they think about people coming in from Jersey. (laughs) Ask them what good coffee is. There's always an opinion. There's always, no, 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 that's not, no, no, can't be good. The amazing thing is, whenever you, well, let me start with this. Pride or sophistication or skepticism can have two faces. The one is, the pride face, which is, um, which is, nah, I know better, nah. I, I don't think that that's, that's true or that can work. Or it can have the low self-image, nah, that, that can't be for me. It's, it's, it just can't be. You think too little of yourself. I'll tell you a story. A friend of mine, he's a South African who fell in love with a girl who lived in Laguna Beach in California. Some of you know them. It's a funny story. I'm allowed to tell it. Um, and while he was pursuing her, he went on a trip from Cape Town to uh, Laguna Beach, met the family, um, just spent time with her. And she organized this day uh, of taking him around, basically a date, one big date for, for a whole day long. But he didn't know that it was happening, and she was supposed to be in class in school. And what happened was, um, she phoned him up and said, I desperately need a book. It's at Barnes & Noble. Can you pick it up and come and drop it off for me at school? He's like, yeah, sure. Well, I've got time. Gets gets to Barnes & Noble, walks to the counter. She says, ask for this lady. She's keeping it aside for me. And he asks for her. His name is Neil, by the way, just to sell him out properly. Um, He asks... For, the, for this lady, Neil is not a very common American 
or a name in America, even though it's not completely absent. Randomly finds, finds this lady by name. She, he, he, she says, he says, you, you've got a book for me. I need to pick it up. It's called this and this and this. She says, oh, yes. And she hands him an envelope with his name on it. Great start. Great start to a day date. Take notes, guys and girls. <laughs> but this is him. He looks at it. He's from South Africa. He's in a strange store meeting a strange person. She's got an envelope with his name on it. And he goes, no, no, this is not for me. I need a book. Can I get the book? It's called this. That's what I need to buy. And it took significant convincing for him to believe that that envelope with his name on randomly in a Barnes & Noble was for him. So sometimes we go, nah, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. I can't listen to them. No, what, what, what can I learn from that guy? And sometimes we go, this is too good for me. This is too good. This is, I don't deserve this. And we live in a way that excludes us from encountering Jesus as Nathaniel did because we don't believe we are worth it. He's a skeptic. Skepticism robs us of encounter with God. Skepticism robs us of encounter with God. And I'm, I so love how the story plays out, but how it could have played out is he could have gone, no, I'm not going to waste my time on someone from Nazareth and walked away. Ah, nah, I'm not going to waste my time with what that guy's saying. There's, a, there's, there's nudgings, little small voices that the Spirit of God speaks to us with. And sometimes we write them off because, nah, it's probably not true, or nah, that's not for me. Let's see how he responds. Actually, a quote from David Hansen. He says this, When I move from being a lover of the soul to an expert about the soul, I objectify my own soul from myself. When I move from being a lover of the soul to an expert about the soul, I objectify my own soul from myself. In essence, it's a prostitution of my own soul. We think we know everything. We have doubts. And so because we doubt, we don't embark on this adventure of experience we have arguments against the truth of what Jesus claims. And because we have arguments against that, we don't give ourselves the opportunity to encounter Jesus. Skepticism robs us of encountering God. So the question that we're left with here, with Nathaniel particularly, is what happens if we bring our doubts, what happens if we bring our insufficiencies? What happens if we bring our lofty ideas, the truths that we hold on to, the things that we feel are real, what happens if we bring those things that we think may either be better than the simplicity of what Jesus is saying or maybe inferior and we, stay, we, we want to stay away from Jesus? What happens if we bring those things to him 
and encounter him anyway. And this is what, in essence, what Nathaniel does. He listens to Philip. He says, what can, what can come from Nazareth? And then as he comes, Jesus says something pretty profound to him. He says, ah, let's read it. He says, um, when Jesus saw him approaching, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Now remember, he kind of was saying, someone that comes from Nazareth, Nazareth, what do they know about anything? And immediately he encounters Jesus. And now Jesus doesn't just know something that's worth talking about. He knows Nathaniel. Jesus has overcome some of the greatest doubts and stepped into his personal realm and says, how do you know me? And then Jesus says, "Um, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And this is an ironic reversal of control because Nathaniel thinks he's making the calls. Nazareth, I'll go in here. And as he got there, Jesus says, no, 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 before you even decided to come to me, I saw you. And what he says to him is is actually really important because he wasn't just the average New York skeptic. He was, a, he was the kind of skeptic that truly was looking for truth. And there's a few clues to that. It's not just that he wrote off Nazareth, but Jesus says, here is an uh, Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And what he's saying there is, I rather want skeptics with doubts who come honestly than hypocrites who say the right thing but don't truly believe it or live it. And so here, this guy, who's, who's got all these doubts and he's like, his superiority or whatever is hiding in his own heart, comes to Jesus and Jesus says, I like you because you're honest. And so these are clues to why, what happens when we bring our doubts and our brokenness and our insufficiencies to Jesus. What happens? And then Jesus says, I saw you while under the fig tree. And what that means, if you study the kind of the roots of it, is under the fig tree would have been where Nathaniel would have sat and studied. It's that place where you kind of go away to under the fig tree in nature, a little bit of shade, figs hopefully, sit and eat. But you're studying, you're seeking. It's a posture of seeking out truth. And so Jesus says two things about him, and these two things are really, really important. One, he's honest. He brings to Jesus his honesty. Two, he brings humility because he really does want to learn. He's not the skeptic that just writes it off and goes, ah, whatever, I'm going to walk away. He actually says, no, I, I do seek truth. I doubt that I'll get it from a guy from Nazareth. And then Jesus radically changes his life. Now, what's important about this is Jesus, as we've come to know now, he's come to earth, the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God given to us. Theologian um, Ebhard Juengel, Juengel, 
take that down too as a baby name if you want, um, says this. The Christological statement is to be regarded as the fundamental proposition of a hermeneutic of the speakability of God. What does that mean? It means the fact that Jesus came to earth should be the fundamental reality of a God who is trying to reveal himself to us. The fact that Jesus came to us is the basis upon which we can see that God Almighty wants to talk to us, wants to show himself to us. And so Jesus becomes what he claims to be a parable. Jesus becomes a living parable, and what a parable does is it is a story that is meant to create a comparison between something that is known and something that is unknown. The purpose being to illuminate the unknown thing so as to bring something new, unforeseen, and surprising to the hearer. Epiphany. Jesus is the incarnation of Epiphany, the realization that God wants to show himself to you and to me. Jesus isn't the only clue we have because Romans 1 says God has made himself known throughout nature, throughout the ages past. But Jesus is the ultimate expression of the very being of God. Why is that so important right now? It's so important because you and I are masters at hiding our brokenness, our lack, our doubts, our insecurities, our fears, because we would rather look like we've got it together than admit, man, there's a lot of gaps in my understanding. And what Jesus does here is he says, come and see how God responds to us bringing honestly and humbly our doubts to him. That means if you're a skeptic here, if you're here because someone dragged you here or asked you to come or you felt like you had to or whatever brought you here this morning and you have doubts about this Christian thing, this Jesus thing, the one thing that you should be fully convinced of is that Jesus was not scared of your doubts. You absolutely don't have to pretend like you have it together, like you're comfortable with every theology, but bring your doubts honestly and lay them down to encounter Jesus as he invites. Because Jesus' call is one of invitation. And that's the amazing thing about, that, about this text, the come and see text. You could argue, Philip could have stopped and argued and convinced him. Hey, but maybe, maybe there's someone in Nazareth. Come on, it's not that bad a place, dude. Just, no, no, just come and see. Come and see for yourself. What would have happened if Philip had somehow just convinced him? Or tried to convince him. He would have either been pushed further away or he wouldn't have come to experience what Jesus had. He would have come upon the word or the truth that Philip was saying. And so Philip's role here is so beautiful. He simplifies everything and he just says, 
whatever your objections are, man, just come and see. And Philip probably knew that Nathaniel was in the place of seeking, of actually, truly, honestly wanting to find truth. Jesus, a parable for us to see God and experience God. He honors him for his honesty. And then Jesus responds in two ways that I think are really key for us to hear as skeptics. And I'm talking to my own heart. He responds in two different ways. One, he responds with affirmation. And as you think about God and you think about every authority figure that you've had in your past and you think about your dad, uh, whether he was present or absent, or whatever role he played, we never quite sure how people will respond. Jesus, representing God, comes and as he brings doubt to the table, as he brings his skepticism to the table, Jesus responds with affirmation. And he says, wow, a true Israelite. I admire that about you. The second response is a little bit of a stretch for us to always understand. But it's a really important one to understand. And that is that he responds with prevenient grace. And that is a term I think that John Wesley coined, if I can remember properly, about the pre-working of God in our lives before we even realize it. It is the fact that God has been intricately involved in your life and my life without us having ever chosen it or, or understood it. But He has, by His Spirit, influenced our lives to be where they are right now. He has brought influence. He has brought grace to our lives. And how you respond to that grace that come, comes has brought you to where you are. And it's God's invitation and our response. It's a beautiful dance. And this prevenient grace is seen in many different ways. I'll give you three examples that help us understand the fact that God's pre-existent work in our lives was happening. Three very simple examples. One, Scripture tells us that we were planned before we were conceived and formed in our mother's wombs. That is the pre-working grace of God on our life already. Secondly, the way that our story is shaped has a sovereign design somehow handed down to us and affected by the human will. Can I explain that? Not exactly. If you can, I'd love to hear but it is a mystery. There are some beautiful explanations of this. But it will always remain to a certain extent a mystery that the sovereign God, Acts 17 says, designs and purposes and plans the places and the times that we would live. He did that, and here we are. And somehow together, your story is that you are sitting in this building in 2015, because God's sovereign act and your responses to the stimuli from life and opportunities and jobs and possibilities brought you here right now. And His grace has already been at work in you to be here right now. And thirdly, John 6, 
44 speaks of the fact that no one can come to the Father unless the Father first draws him. Come to Jesus unless the Father first draws him. And that means that there's a pre-existent work of God in your heart that you're not aware of in your life, over your life. And so Jesus responds to Nathaniel by pre-existent work. That's where this would make a good movie. Jesus says, before you came, I already saw you under the fig tree. Now, can you see the irony in that? Philip says to him, just come and see. And he, he thinks that this decision he's making is his decision, and he steps into it. And it was his decision. And then Jesus answers by saying, I've already seen you. You're coming to see me. I've already seen you. And I wonder if we could just get a momentary glimpse into what God has seen over your life that you don't even know of yet. I wonder how life would change if you had just a glimmer of what God sees when He looks at you. What has He already seen in your life that you thought He is completely absent in? What are the situations that you feel like, God, where are you? And yet He's I've already seen you in that place. I've already been there. I'm there with you now. The pre-existing, prevenient grace of God was already at work in Nathaniel's life as he came and met Jesus. And then Nathaniel's response is literally this. He has an epiphany. What does it mean for Jesus to be incarnate on earth? This Nathaniel comes awake to the reality of Christ's work and his majestic and magnificent grace. Because even when Jesus affirms him, I'm sure that he felt somehow forgiven for his skepticism. That somehow his skepticism and doubt fades into the background. He didn't deal with it. He didn't actually say, okay, okay, Jesus, I like what I see, but let's just deal with this one thing. You're from Nazareth. We've we got to deal with that, else I can't. It doesn't seem like it comes up. It's like the doubts, the fears, the insecurities, the brokenness seems to fade into insignificance when encounter with God happens. And God is inviting us daily into encountering Him, walking with Him by His Spirit. And yet somehow you and I get stuck on these really, really, really important things, questions, obstacles, that sound something like, but you're from Nazareth. Yes, just come and see. I know it doesn't make sense to you now. And some of you are wrestling with really important questions, and I'm not diminishing the questions because I wrestle with them too. Many, many questions, important questions that God wants to answer somehow. And whether He will now or whether He will later, we're not exactly sure. But these questions linger and loom. And the, the faith step is to say, unless you are able to bring those questions with honesty and yet at the same time lay them down at the feet of Jesus so that you can encounter Him, that skepticism, be it because you're proud or be it because and this can't be for me. It can't be as good as it sounds. That skepticism 
will rob us of encountering God. And so becoming a people who practice this amazing reality that we can bring who we are, what we think, our doubts, leave it with Jesus and say, God, whatever my thinking is, I just want to encounter you and see if you are. God responds very favorably to that. And some are in those encounters now. Some have avoided those encounters because it avoids the questions that need to be answered first. What about my mom who died at an early age, way too early, way more early than she should have? What about the brokenness that happens on our streets every single day? What about that, God? All these things we bring to God, we be honest with Him about it, but we lay it at His feet and say, God, I want to encounter you. And somehow those things find their place behind the mercy and the grace that is outpoured from a Savior and a God who is, who is lovingly involved in our lives. Some of us avoid that encounter because we can hang on to the pain and it's easier to do that because I'm still in control at least of my pain. And then some really just don't know how to encounter God. Some of us struggle like, I long for that, but I don't know how to do that. This morning is that. This morning is an invitation to encounter God by laying down our doubts, by bringing them, by being honest with them and saying, I just need to meet with Jesus. Jesus, in this text, gives us the invitation to come and meet him. And then the end of the story, which we can't get into really right now, is Jesus says, you're impressed that I knew about you and planned your life and was involved in your life that you didn't even know of till right now? You think that's, a, that's good? Just wait and see. So much more waiting for you. That's just the entrance. That's just the beginning place of encountering Jesus. And then he invites us into this journey with him. Some of you have been on that journey for so long where you have encountered him over and over and over and you have seen amazing, amazing things. You have seen cries of your hearts answered. You have seen God come and heal and restore in the midst of, but there's still so much brokenness, God. Yeah, in the midst of the doubt. I still don't know what to do with it, but God, I have seen you at work and I'm going to pursue that. Come and see. It is an invitation to surrender. And I have to be very clear on that. It is an invitation to surrender. It's an invitation to give up. It's an invitation to say, I am willing to trust you. At least just come and see. Just come and see. Plus it is an invitation to more. Imagine the joy that Philip experienced in this journey. Imagine the joy of seeing his skeptic friend and saying, hey, but just, just come and see. And then going with him and seeing him having this encounter with Jesus because Philip already had that encounter with him. And then the ability to go, see, I told you so, man. 
I know it's hard, but it is amazing. And the question that Philip leaves in my heart is this. Is my life that invitation to my neighbors, to the friends of my kids at school and their parents, to everybody here? Is my life the kind of life that is wrung out as an invitation to come and see? That's how I want to live. That's how I want to be in my apartment in Brooklyn. I want my life to literally be to my neighbors who struggle with different things. To come and see. Come and see how possible it is. Come and see how life is under the righteous and beautiful government of a good king. But it takes surrender. And so there's two invitations here. There are invitations for those who are seriously in doubt. And we're going to make some space afterwards. We can't offer you answers. And I love that that's not what Philip did. But we can offer you prayer and crying out together for an encounter with Jesus. And if that's you, if you're in a place of skepticism, or if you just need to encounter God, we're going to make some space now for you to do that. And it doesn't just happen in this two zones over there and over there. It can happen on the road. It can happen on the subway. It can happen in your apartment, but it can happen. And the invitation of God is open for it to happen. So my invitation is if you are in that place, come today, receive prayer. The second is an invitation for those who long for more of God. Part of it will be found when we respond to the invitation that our lives can become Philip's. Lives that go, come and see. Just come. I know you're a skeptic. I know you don't understand these. I don't understand much of it too, but come and experience it. And see God work in the lives of those around us. My life, to my kids, I feel the beautiful burden of having my life literally be, hey, my boy, come and see. Indy, come see. Come see that God is good. And so we, Lisa and I, spend a lot of time just interpreting the acts of God to our kids, just so that they can join the dots. Oh, yeah, we prayed for that. Sometimes not even prayed. Oh, yeah, we needed that. Now we have it. How did that happen? God is good. He encounters us. He takes care of us. And it is our privilege to be the Phillips of this world, to have our lives ring out just like Jesus's. Our lives are parables. Your life connects the unknown to the known. The way you live as a believer in Jesus shows a world out there what God is like. Jesus was called the light of the world, bringing light, bringing epiphany. We are called light, Matthew 5. Because he's called us to do the same thing. And that is a privileged, privileged calling. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to have communion. And I'm going to ask you to think in this time, before communion, before we partake in the Lord's Supper, just think about the invitation that God's put in front of you right now. What is that? Is it an invitation to encounter him again because it seems like you need that? 
Is it an invitation to drink more deeply from His grace that is so available for us? Or is it an invitation, perhaps, to start living in a way so that your life may be more of a come-and-see exclamation? Not, I have to convince them, I have to have all the answers ready. It's good to have answers ready. But there's nothing that speaks as powerfully as a life lived, connecting the unknown to the known. So, Father, we look at this example of Nathaniel and we say, wow, we can br- we're allowed to bring our doubts. We're allowed to bring our brokenness, our pain, our fears. Sometimes that surprises us because we feel like we need to be all together. So, God, here we are, just as we are. In the next few moments, Father, you're going to hear the hearts of many just confess The hearts of many just confess a longing for you, confess doubts that are real. The fact that you incarnate, Jesus, came to live, understanding the pressures that we live under, understanding the doubts and the weakness of our flesh. You came so that you can have, so that we can have a high priest, someone who represents us to the Father, who is able to sympathize with our weakness. Come right now as we confess these things and meet with us, God. We long to meet with you in the season of Epiphany. We long to get that sudden revelation, that understanding of your goodness and your grace. Come and do that, Lord.